Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yordana Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Dalit, page four. Um, our daf opens with a discussion of what happens when we've got conflicting, conflicting values or conflicting needs in terms of a wedding, which is already, you know, it's really following what has already been discussed in terms of what happens if there's something that is, you know. unavoidable circumstances that get in the way of things happening when they're supposed to happen. Um, Among this is um, if somebody who is relevant to the story is in Avelut, is in mourning, and Yordana, you'll talk about this more. What I want to talk about is on Ahmed Aleph, we have the case, it's a complicated case um, of we, we call it where at the time of the chuppah, the woman is in nida. She has menstruated or has not yet, um, you know, achieved enough um, what they call clean days, right? It's a little bit of a misnomer to be able to go to the mikvah and to render herself pure. So, you know, a couple that's not supposed to be together during that time, whether she's menstruating or has not yet gone to the mikvah after menstruation is a little bit, you know, at at a disadvantage, shall we say, when they come to their wedding and they need to remain separate. The question is, how does this play out in real life, so to speak? So the Gemara talks about it and pretty directly. Rather than sleeping together after the wedding, right? Each of them sleeps amongst their own, those of their own gender. Um, he sleeps among the men and she sleeps among the women until that point, really, when she can then go to the mikveh and then they will become a couple. But the sages, it says, did not keep or prevent the bride from wearing jewelry during the entire day, the 30-day period after the wedding, meaning whatever else has happened, whether she's in need or not or whatever, um, other under non um let's say non immediate after the wedding circumstances she might be told to not make herself quite as beautiful you know for the sake of protecting the nida status but in this case because she's a bride um she's uh she does not she's allowed to i'm, I'm sorry and also because if she's in mourning right because again, this is following on the heels of this discussion of mourning. So she might be in under circumstances that she would not be making herself as beautiful either because she's in mourning or whatever, right? This is either case I think will apply. But I think that reducing one's jewelry or not wearing jewelry is a much greater sign of mourning. Um, she's still allowed during the 30 days after the wedding, even if she's in mourning. Ben kach kach. Uh, and then the the Gemara goes on to say they are still not allowed to sleep together if she is a Betula, if she is a virgin um, not on Friday night and not on Motzei Shabbat. Now, Friday night Yordana, you've talked about this, right? It's in the event that she, that he would thereby, you know, wound her, right? That there would be some injury in the um, first time they couple. And the conclusion of Shabbat is a different kind of discussion, which we need to understand. Um, okay. 
I want to just, your Dana, do you have anything to say before I go on? I want to address the the way they, the way they handle this chupat nida. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I just think the setup of the case of the morning piece is very interesting. You know, it, it's sort of a, 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 what I'm coming to appreciate with Seder Nashim in general, we saw this with the Avamos and with Ketubot, is there's kind of a theme of sort of taking like, almost like the worst case scenarios, and then trying to figure out how we handle them. And then from there, we learn general halacha. I think that's well said. Yes, I think that's exactly what happens. Uh, so... And so that's that's these either case, right? It says if she's in a Nida status or if she's in right. a Velu. Exactly. Like, you know, and, and in life, in other words, and it makes sense because halacha, when everything is easy, is easy. It's specifically right. these types of cases that are like really make you figure out like what halachically is actually happening when you have to actually think about it. Okay. Gonna, the the gemara goes on, um, and I'll hand it over to you in a, in a few minutes. Amar Mar, who yashim ben anashim vehiyashin aben anashim mesayeli lerebi Yochanan. Dama Rebbe Yochanan, afal pisha amru ein avelut b'moed, aval dvarim shel tzina noheg. So what happens? The gemara here treats this case as one, meaning there's an issue of mourning. She's sleeping amongst. The oh, I'm sorry, I neglected to say something very important. A couple in mourning is also not going to be sleeping together, right? I, I, I took that as a given. I, I want to make sure that it's you know that we all understand that that's what's going on here. That one case is a case of nida where the couple would not be together, and another is a case of avilut where the couple would not be together, right? So, and in either case, they would sleep amongst their respective genders, as I said. And Rabbi Yochanan is the one who said and we talked about this back in Moed Katan and so on, right, that there's no mourning that is going to be observed on a festival except for B'tzina'ah, except for when we're talking about in privacy. So privacy is exactly this case, right, because they, the couple, is not going to um, have marital relations during during that entire time. Rav Yosef, so Rav Yosef, the son of Rava, taught in the name of Rava, But, now, and so now, and this is a little bit difficult because the Gemara is flip-flopping between the morning case and the menstrual case. In the event that she indeed began menstruating, the couple is not supposed to be alone together. So she will sleep with the women and he will sleep with the men. And we handle this a little bit differently nowadays, but leaving that aside, um, Rav Yosef, the son of Rav, taught in the name of Rav, that that is only relevant if they have not already slept together. Meaning, if it's their first night and they've begun and then, or they've had intercourse and then she starts menstruating, then they sleep together. Meaning, they do not have intercourse again. She's Anida. But there's no concern that there's going to be some forbidden action on their part because they've already been together just the once and that's enough for them to be able to continue to, you know, dwell in the same place and observe the laws of Tarat Mishpacha. The Hahacha, but the Gemara says, he, now when we're talking about Avelut, so at least the Gemara at this point now is going to tell us, we're switching back to the discussion of Avelut, the Beval Askinan. So we are taking talking about a case where they already have slept together, they've already had intercourse. But it seems to be. So they've already been together and they're still being told to sleep, to sleep amongst their respective genders. 
So what happens? The Gemara says the um, if they've already slept together, then that was just a matter of menstruation, and that seems to be a, of a different status. They're not identical to the case of mourning, where the mourning requires a separation. Um, I, I don't know. Practi- practically, it seems to me that this should be the same separation, but in this case. The Avelut seems to be a, a stronger separation. Um, I don't. I don't know that I have any greater insight here. The Gemara. The Gemara itself is not so pleased with this. The Gemara says, "Doesn't it say?" And likewise, meaning, aren't these supposed to be the same, the same standing legally? Like, shouldn't they be able to, you know, either be together or have to separate in the same degree if they've already been together? So the Gemara tries to resolve it. So the Gemara says, well, the likewise, when we say they're the same, we're really talking about a case where they have not yet slept together at all, and so then they're going to sleep separately. But in the case of a mourner, even, so I, I'm, again, I'm still left with this question. You're going to, maybe you have a solution. No, I, I I don't think there's a good solution to it. It's a it's a good question that you're asking there. I don't I don't have a good insight to that. All right. Well, I'm going to hand it over to you. The this the question of a chupanita and the ongoing discussion of mourning is obviously going to continue. You know, we these are topics that we're, we keep coming back to them because they keep being the 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 case the paradigmatic case from which as you said from which other things can then be derived right and it's basically the two scenarios of like when the wedding celebration sort of can't take place the way that we want them to and the gemara at least at the beginning of the job recognizing that there's like a financial burden that gets incurred when these things actually happen you know all those preparations it's not like a time of refrigeration or you can freeze the food you know what happens when something gets delayed and, you know, sort of the chaos that that creates? Um, I wait, wait, to- I'm sorry. I just, because I, I think I didn't read the Gemara far, far enough. The Gemara goes on to say, here are the things that you're not allowed to do in mourning. Here are the things, meaning uh, between a couple when one of them is, is in mourning. And here are the things you're not allowed to do for Anita. At the end of the day, the Gemara says, low kasha, it's not difficult, even though I'm still finding it difficult, right? Because, you know, and the issue is, the, the Gemara wants to distinguish between what's going to lead to intimacy or is at risk of leading to intimacy and what is a sign of mourning. And I think that that might be the key to understanding the difference here because there's if they've already been together then and she enters a status of Nida, then there's the concern is to prevent another intimacy, but they've already been together, so that's okay. But in the event of mourning, it's not to prevent... It, it is to prevent intimacy, but it's for the sake of the de- demonstrative nature of prevent of, of actually, you know, being sad. Right. I, I think that that might. Right. Be part right. Of it. In other words, that during the week of mourning, sexual relationships, which are pleasurable, are forbidden while you're mourning, basically. Whereas in the other case, it's to prevent, as you said, like a moment of intimacy. It's, it's a little bit. There is a little bit of a nuance there. Okay, now your turn. I'm sorry for, okay. for... No, that's okay. I think that was an important point. So I'm going to hop down to the bottom of the top where, uh, you know, there's a discussion here of exactly sort of what's the leniency about, um, you know, a in this specific scenario 
uh, of, uh, you know, this period of time uh, after a wedding or when it coincides with a wedding versus like mourning in general. And the question that the Gemara basically wants to, you know, sort of tease out here is what's the what's the Kula? Uh, is there a Kula? Is there a leniency in the case of, uh, you know, the the bride or groom who right before their wedding, there's a death? Right, my kula. So the question is, what's the kula? Maybe the kula is, is that the bride and groom can consummate their sexual relationship, right? And he fulfills that that mitzvah, and then porish, and then they they separate. But they make an interesting distinction here, is which is that um, there, right, when the the corpse is you know, in the room of the house, right? And so it's interesting to see sort of like what they're discussing is when does Avelut actually take place, right? So it's do so it's the fact that the mourning has not actually taken effect yet. So in other words, what they sort of do in that case of the wedding is they kind of circumvent it by not placing the corpse in the house. And once the dead body's not in the house, it's almost like Avelut doesn't actually take place yet. Right, lo So this would have to be according to the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, who says that mourning doesn't take effect until the corpse uh, comes from the entrance of the house for burial, right? But could this also be according to the opinion of Rabbi Yoshua, who says that mourning doesn't start until the co- the covering of the grave? So now what they're getting into a discussion of is that okay. If you want to say that the difference here is, is that mourning didn't actually start. And why didn't mourning actually start in this case of the wedding is because you didn't put the body in the house. But the question is, then when does mourning actually start? And they bring these two opinions, one of Rabbi Eliezer, who says it's sort of when the body leaves the house. And one of Rabbi Yeshua, who says once the cover, once the grave, once the body's actually buried and the grave is actually sealed. Elliptic so in other words, so they're going to say, no, this is really what the leniency is, because neither that framework of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Shua doesn't really fit with what that Brisa actually said. Right. So what what does it teach us that the groom first does the seven days of feasting? In other words, he, he celebrates the Sheva Brachot, the seven days of after the wedding, and then he observes the seven days of mourning. So what the the what Chazal were lenient about is is that he's allowed to have his wedding feast despite the fact that he's actually really a mourner, right? And they um and uh but they don't allow him to sort of be alone with his wife because maybe he'll sort of be lenient for other things about mourning. So in other words, they're going to allow him to have that week of mourning of sorry of festivity, but you know, he's still a little bit in mourning a little bit, right? So he needs to be separated from his wife. Um, and so I think it's an interesting, you know, I, I think what they're sort of trying to tease out here is, is that on the one hand, you know, Chazal wants to make it a little bit easy for that couple and allow them to have those seven days. But on the other hand, you know, maybe they can't totally have that full seven days. Like there does need to be a separation that's made because at the end of the day, he's still a little bit, he is a little bit in mourning still, right? Like there is going to be that, you know, burial. It's not like the burial gets pushed off for seven days. 
So we still have to sort of remind ourselves a little bit what's going on. And I think that's like a very difficult balance to sort of, you know, strike. I'm sure all of us have had, uh, you know, know of friends or maybe have personally experienced a situation where somebody was sitting Shiva, you know, a parent was sitting Shiva during a week of, uh, of, of, of a wedding or somebody got up from Shiva right before a wedding. And you, you, you sort of are in this, you know, it, I think what it's showing is, is that like the halakha or how we celebrate or observe mourning, some of those laws are there to remind us emotionally how to be. And I think this discussion here about like what the kula is, what the leniency is, is the Gemara sort of acknowledging this is a very confusing time, right? A person is sort of going to experience two strong emotions at the same time. And then how does that manifest itself in a halakhic sense afterwards? I think that's well said. I think that this is one, you know, we've talked about times when the Gemara does not seem to address any issues of emotion. And I feel like implicit in all of this discussion is a recognition of the conflicting emotional state as well. Right. It, and it's a very conflicted, uh, it, it's a very conflicted emotional state. Like I actually think, you know, to me, I know that there's like a crudeness to the Gemara, like they have sexual relations, they separate. I actually think if you read that Gemara carefully, there's an emotional piece to it. You know, I, I do think they're saying something emotional here. They recognize uh, they're trying to set this up in the best way possible for the for the couple. So, yes, you can celebrate, but you are going to have to be a little bit separate. And, you know, I, I think that Chazal's trying to find a, a good balance here. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.